Welcome to the Gucci Podcast. Under the banner to gather together, the Chime for Change campaign is a call to the global community to unite in support of gender equality and self-expression. Chime for Change was founded by Gucci in 2013 to convene, unite and strengthen the voices speaking out for gender equality globally, with a focus on education, health and justice. On this episode, to talk about the vivid new graphic identity she created for Chime for Change is visual artist MP Chinque and community organiser and writer Adam Eli, who edited the first edition of Chime's new zine. They are interviewed by Ariel Wengroff, a young Emmy-nominated executive producer and publisher whose work is focused on women's equality. Hey everyone, I'm Ariel Wengroff, publisher of Broadly, which is everything female and identity at Vice and an executive producer. I'm really excited to be here today with Adam Eli, who's a community organizer, writer, and editor of The Chime Zine, and also with MP Sinquay who is a visual artist, created the new Chime campaign identity, and is the art director of the Chime zine. You know, Chime for Change is really all about the power of individual action, uh, unified under a common goal to create positive and real change, which is so important for not just young people today, but the way that we want to see the future of the world. Um, To start off our conversation today, I want to read the intro that, Adam, that you wrote for the zine which is part of what we're gonna talk about. So I think it'll just set us up really well. You are holding voices that have been gathered together. These newly bound voices call for change for a different world. Change starts with an idea born of loneliness. Something is missing, so we dream of creating it. Something is broken, so we think of ways to fix it. Bringing an idea into the world is very difficult and we do not recommend that you do it alone. What you are holding is not only an object of beauty, it is a tool that can connect us to each other and is therefore something greater than ourselves. We hope that you will cherish, share, and engage with it. Change starts with a chime and happens when we leave the loneliness to gather together. Uh, Every time I read that, I just love it so much. Um, I'm so excited to be talking to you today. I see you sitting here, Lady Gaga t-shirt, ready to go. This zine, which is so unusual to be seeing uh, in places for free around the world, celebrating queer youth, something that tells individual stories and is so strikingly beautiful. I would love to know more about who you are, but also how you picked these stories and what the Chime zine means and what it means to you. Sure. Thank you so much. And I'm really glad to be here with So is Lady Gaga. And um, so like you said, I am a writer and community organizer. My pronouns are he, him, or they, them. And the way I, I went about looking for voices for the zine with two criteria. I looked for voices that were marginalized or voices that were not always heard, particularly in the mainstream media, because that's sort of what traditionally zines do zines and self-publishing were created because people had things to say but the mainstream media uh wouldn't say them so people had to take matters into their own hands and so i was looking for voices that one were not always heard and two served as a direct call to action so for example we talk a lot about the intersex movement in the zine and that's because the intersex community is still marginalized even within the queer community and even within queer publishing there's a serious lack of discussion around the things that intersex people face. And so in that way, the voice is marginalized, but also they give a direct call to action. They actually give like four or five direct calls to action of ways to be more inclusive of intersex people and to fight um, 
inter- non-consensual intersex surgery. What are some of those? Like, what are some of the four? The first is to educate yourself about exactly what is going on in the intersex community and how surgeries are performed um, without the consent of a child, sometimes even before they can be aware of what consent is, um, to be sure that you're being inclusive in all of your language. And to you can call up your hospital before a child is born or your pediatrician and ask them what their policies are around intersex youth and explain that you're eager for those surgeries not to take place. There are also a lot of resources. Um, there are like direct calls to action in that there are like accounts to follow and people to look to. So if someone who picks this up is intersex or has an intersex friend, hopefully they'll leave knowing a lot more. And with the format of the zine, like I love the fact that zines have this history of coming from a place where they're representing something that was never able to be seen before. Mm-hmm. Now we have social media and we have so many mediums and tools where people who felt like an other can find someone who's like them. Why is something that's physical and printed and in this form still important to be shown today? That's a really, really good question. Mm-hmm. And it's true that it's true that everyone can post their opinion online or everyone can post their thoughts online, but sometimes it's really powerful to see those same opinions or thoughts that maybe, or fears that maybe you've had and weren't sure you were all alone in, to see them in print, sanctioned by such a large global campaign and out in public. I think that that holds a lot, a lot of power. So Adam, tell me a little bit more about how your activism was formed. I'm not sure where my activism began because I think the attitude was always present. Growing up, the Holocaust played a big role in my life. It played a big role in my education. There's this idea of never again or never again is now. I was taught always that once you're a marginalized group, you can always be marginalized again. Hate That hatred has very low standards. Hatred does not discriminate. So if the Jewish people are safe today for whatever reason, that does not necessarily mean they'll be safe tomorrow. And therefore, if there's another minority group that's being persecuted, it's important that we show up for them because that could very well be us tomorrow. And that idea was always with me. So I led a group of kids to the Darfur protest because there was a genocide taking place there. And I just felt like in a Jewish community, we had an obligation to talk about a contemporary genocide. And as I grew up, I went to college and I sort of lost touch with, I lost touch with a bit of myself and I lost touch with my activism. And then boom, out of nowhere, uh, the Orlando massacre happened. And at the time I was in a job that I did not like, I did not connect with. I was wearing a suit every day. I was working as a real estate agent and I woke up in the morning ready to show apartments and I found out that there was a shooting. First it was 11 bodies and then by the time I was leaving the door it was 30 bodies and then by the end of the day um, I didn't know what to do with myself as I was like talking about square footage while you know I felt like my people were like dying in the streets and so I just started posting online and people kept asking me what to do next because I kept posting about it and I didn't know so I said if you're upset and if you're sad and you don't want to be alone and you want to take action, then you can meet me at 5 p.m. at the Stonewall. And we all went to this memorial together. And about 30 people showed up. And that was the first time that I saw that social media can be used as a way of directly community organizing. And I found myself a few days later in the this you know gun violence activist group, this queer gun violence activist group. We met at the LGBT Center and... I was basically besides myself from the moment I found out about the attack until I stepped into that room. 
And I sat there and I watched these people who became my mentors build an activist group from the floor up. And about five weeks in, before our first protest, I volunteered to do our Instagram during the protest. And the night after that, I became the social media manager. And by watching this group, I was able to learn all the skills that I needed to know. And still today, whenever I have a question, I run to one of my mentors there. And then news broke that queer people were being rounded up in Chechnya and this sort of you know, like metal disc went off in my head. And I was like, this is what I trained for during Hebrew school. Like, <laughs> let's do it. And I organized this march in New York. And from then, yeah, the rest is history. Well, you went from basically almost being suppressed in your true identity to finding your voice through this extraordinarily tragic moment in queer history. And you're taking the lineage of your past and your family and, and pulling it forward. Yeah, exactly. That was really that was really beautifully said. And I think a lot of people in our I'm 28 years old and a lot of people in our generation, I think, had a sort of come to moment after the events of November 2016. I just happened to have had my sort of come to I need to be an activist moment a couple of months earlier. So while people were you know, freaking out and really upset in November, I was pretty calm because I knew what to do. I'd already been, since the summer, I'd already been using social media as a way to organize. So I remained calm, and I think that my voice was able to sort of shine through because there was a lot of chaos, but I feel like I had already been in training for the past six months. But I just love the fact that you use social media as this way to see something around you and express yourself and come together in a real-life capacity so that it's not just online, but it, you took it, you, you brought it to life, you know? Exactly. And so I have a rule that I use for myself on social media, and I try to apply that same rule to the zine, which is if it's not hopeful or a direct call to action, don't post it. So I'll never post something that just says, like, I'm really angry or really upset. Um, in the zine, you'll, you won't see an article that says, this really bad thing is happening, but with no call to action. It'll always be like, this terrible thing is happening, meet me at X place at X time. Or if you see something like the non-consensual intersex surgeries, we'll talk about the issue and then give you a direct call to action as a way to help. So tell me more. Was there a particular era of zines that inspired you? Yeah, there's one era or one story that really inspired the way we tried to make the zine inclusive and to get as many contributions as possible. Um, right after the Great Depression, there was a group of science fiction writers, and they felt like the science fiction magazines of the day were publishing stories that weren't sophisticated enough. They were basically like science fiction geeks, and they kept writing these really mean letters to the editor saying, you know, that were they were basically like geeking out to the editor saying, like, this isn't real, this isn't possible. Um, you know, you're telling the story wrong, and the editors got so upset and like they got over the editors got upset with hearing their work criticized so they published the stories in the magazines with the you know the science geeks return addresses sort of like as a punishment and so then the geeks around the world were like oh this is perfect and they started writing to each other instead of the magazine sort of like bypassing the magazine and cutting them out and through that they sort of formed a community mm -hmm. and then they would pass around stories that they eventually like stapled together which became some of the first scenes what a surprised that scientists who are so focused on fact continue to lead the way in how we should yeah. approach stories. Um, MP, yeah. let's talk a little bit about you. Uh, I want to know how you started to create art and what's that process been like for you when you were growing up? Well, I, I started in the early 2000s to make art. Um, and I was in Bologna, I studied at the Academy of Art uh, Scenography, and uh, I started in that period also to create murals, 
wall paintings in the street, or street art, as you say, but <laughs> I don't like it so much. What do you like? I think, I mean, I am a visual artist and I don't like the, the, the term street art. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm, I prefer maybe mural. I feel more than like a muralist. Mm-hmm. And uh, so in that period in Bologna, I started to make murals and also to make art and um, to make installation, but also to be part of a queer community. It was like more than uh, 15 years ago. Mm-hmm. And uh, in that time in Bologna, there was Atlantide. It was in a squat for queer people, and it was a really political place, more than uh, the other place I've seen in Rome or in the other part of uh, the world, because I travel uh, for a long period of my life, I change cities every two years. The thing is that I was a visual artist, I was an artist, so in that scene they always ask me for a mural in the, you know, in the, the place, or uh, for, uh, I don't know, images for a uh, like people poster. would come find you and say, can you help us with this? Yeah, I mean, I was there and they knew me, so they say, okay, can you make a mural for our place, or uh, can you make a drawing for uh, this poster for a manifestation? And I was really glad to help, I mean, uh, it was my scene. So I was in a, a visual artist, but in the meantime, I was also part of a community. So I started like this uh, to contribute uh, to my people. And uh, after that, I traveled. I was in France, in London, and in Rome. And um, I discovered other queer, queer communities, and uh, each one was different uh, in France or in London or in Rome. And in Rome, uh, I decided to live in Rome. In a moment of my life, I, de- I decided to to stay there. I don't know, it was a good moment for Rome. It was uh, this party called uh, Fag Off. <laughs> and, uh, Tell us more. Yeah, it was, uh, it was a, a good name. I know, I'm like, um, yeah, I know we I were just too. talking about the other night how much there's so many less queer parties now that you can even have as an option. So Certainly not with as cool as names as that. Yeah, yeah I know, and it was really, really huge party. And uh, that in that place I met uh, all of my best friends. And there were exhibition and the, the most cool, cool electronic music I ever heard, and uh, also exchange and uh, also zine. And uh, uh, each week there was a presentation of a new zine or a new project from uh, every place uh, from Italy or, or over the Europe, also the world. <laughs> and uh, in that uh, in that period, I also met uh, some new friends and. Uh, G- girlfriends and uh, we decided to organize uh, a lady fest <laughs> <laughs> it was really a, a, a really i don't know a moment in my, my life where everything explodes like uh, so it's like you traveled for you worked with people for years in different cities where you brought community together but then you were able to to bring it to light in this different way yeah and can you talk a little bit about what actually brought you to comics when you were younger? Because I think it ties back to actually some of the colors that you use in your work. Yeah, I know. I mean, uh, when I was young, I passed uh, most of my time at home reading books. And uh, com- when I found comics, I mean, I found comics in, um, I was really, uh, how you say, um, young. I was like six or seven years old. And uh, there was this, uh, I don't know the name in English, this uh, little shop that sell uh, magazine. I don't know the name. It's like, like a magazine shop. Yeah, a magazine <laughs> shop. <laughs> I think you got it. Yeah, there was this magazine shop. And every day after school, I went there and it was my best friend. It was uh, this old man who sold, uh, you know, all these comics. And I was like, uh, what's new today, you know? And he was like, you are the only person who's buying these comics, you know? Because, uh, I mean, uh, my neighbor was in the suburb of Rome, you know? And uh, I don't know, I, don't, I didn't know so many people there. 
And uh, so my best friend was this man. <laughs> I love that. It's just like painting this very illustrative uh, image of a youth in Europe. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so it was my best moment of the day. Like after school, I went there and I bought a comic and I went home. And I was most of the time alone because my mother was working. So I just had lunch and I had my comics. And it was, I remember it was my best souvenir. <laughs> and they were, and they, a lot of them were black and white comics, right? Yeah, yeah, I prefer, I definitely prefer black and white comic. What inspires your creativity now? A lot of different things. People, um, psychology, and uh, also um, alchemy, yeah. and uh, superstition. I mean, I come from Naples, and uh, my city is really superstitious. What brought you to Chime? What brought me to Chime? Gucci. <laughs> no, well, when they asked me to, to to create the new identity of uh, Chime and uh, to participate to the zine, uh, I, I, wasn't, I was surprised in a way, but also I was not surprised. Because uh, I have a long story in Italy um, for campaign, creating uh, creating campaign, you know. I work uh, with uh, Nuna Di Meno in Italy. It takes the name from Nuna Menos in Argentina. And uh, it's a movement that's quite similar to the Me Too movement. And, uh, but of course it's different because it's Italian. And uh, we have other stories to tell. <clears throat> but uh, so I'm, I made all the drawings for the campaign since, the, since three years. But to me, it sounds like you've always worked on creating drawings or murals or pieces that are sparked through activism and standing for something. And so when you were thinking about what the new identity for Chime would look like, that's a, it's a big responsibility because millions of people around the world are going to be inspired by that. One of the things that I find so striking is that it's sort of two people, right? But they could be any gender. It doesn't really matter. And they're connected by this equality. And how did you come up with the final image for that? I collaborated with Alessandro Michele to create the campaign. And uh, so I present to him the, the image. And the first thing was if he agree, if, you know, if he say that for him is cool, it's cool for me too, you know? Mm-hmm. I mean, I was sure when I presented and I, I hope that it was cool. He gave me all the, the how you say, the freedom to, you know, to do my work. So... And uh, um, I have to tell you this story. It was summer and uh, I was working in my studio to create this campaign. And that, uh, in that time, I received a call from my ex-girlfriend who was making the transition. So now he's my, yeah, he's my boyfriend. And um, he was in a, I mean, a bad period of his life and he asked me to come in Rome and to visit me and to sleep from me because he wanted to be, I don't know, cured <laughs> by somebody who cared for him. And so I received him and we started to speak about his transition. And, uh, well, I mean, uh, I, lot, I know, of course, a lot of trans people, but he was my ex-boyfriend, you know, so, I mean, it was more close it's to me. It was very personal. Yeah, it was very personal. So he started to tell me all the story about this transition and the problem and stuff. And in that time, in the same time, I was working for Chime. Mm-hmm. So you cannot say how an image came out. You can just say how many things are in that moment inside you and after something go out in an art piece. And you were able to channel that and put it towards something that now 
you know, a countless number of young people are going to be able to see and for the first time take something that speaks so largely and say, hey, I could be that person, right? Like, I deserve that equality. I deserve that community. On the same trope of that, when I, on the same exact idea of like things that were happening as I was creating, as I was editing the voices and coming up with the contributions, it was the same time that Tumblr was actively changing its policies and actively restricting what could be posted. And can you remind people a little bit about what happened with that? So Tumblr decided out of sort of nowhere that they were going to restrict, um, not safe for work content, so like pornographic images, but that ended up also filtering out a lot of like queer art and a lot of queer voices from Tumblr and made it, and Tumblr was a huge place of community building um, for queer people, myself included. And so the idea of Tumblr, which is like, there's, you know, there's one page that has a theme. And so for us, that theme would be gender equality. And then to have that edited out that was really inspiring to me because I sort of thought of this zine as sort of like a feed with different voices gathered together under one theme, but unedited and a place where we can be safe, especially if the internet felt like it was becoming a little unsafe. Well, and that is the sort of strange reminder of the internet is we think it's this vast space where everyone can do whatever they want. And yet so much that's tied to self-expression and identity is actually blocked by the internet because the people who created the terms that they say are brand safe or okay to use are traditionally white men who have not been able to actually see what the future of identity could hold. And I think that Chime is sort of pushing through that in this way. But what I love is, you know, creating something, whether it's the fruition of this scene or the art that you created that goes within it, is so vulnerable mm -hmm. and it takes so much to put it out there into the world. How do you sort of handle that vulnerability? Um, and how do you create something knowing that the rest of the world will see it and react to it? So that's a really great question, and I think I spent a lot of time thinking about that. And as an editor, I think it was my responsibility to make sure that the vulnerability of our contributors was safe and that they felt safe. And I spent a lot of time working with them on their vulnerability. So as editor, I reached out to the different voices, and I reached out to them with two or three ideas of here are things, here are ways that I think you could contribute. Like I saw that you spoke about this and I would love to have that more fleshed out if you could write an essay about it. But for each contributor, I made sure in the email, the last line of like the ask part was bolded and, and underlined with little stars and said, above all, I'm interested in what you have to say. And the question was, what if you could tell everyone in the world one thing what would it be? I love that. Yeah. But above all of my suggestions, I want to know, is there something that you feel like you need to say to the world? What is that? And by doing that, it centers their voice and it centers their vulnerability. And a lot of them, a lot of the contributors handed us their vulnerability, but in a way that they, I think, felt comfortable. And, you know, it was consensual. I didn't, like, demand their most vulnerable parts. Right. We worked on, they, I asked for them. They offered them, and we brought them to life together through MP's beautiful art. MP and Adam, I want to know the story of your friendship. MP and I met because we were in Paris uh, with Gucci for a show. And the day after the show, we had this sort of like big kind of fancy meeting. And I didn't know MP at all before the meeting. And um, I was going to present my ideas for the zine, and she was going to present her visual identity. And she went first, and the whole room like literally froze sort of and we all just they sort were of so moved because we were so moved and 
our mouths just sort of like dropped. And at the time we were talking about like which color it was. And I remember sort of us all looking around the table being like, no one cares. Like it doesn't like it's so it's so strong. Um, it doesn't matter. And then you put the gifts up. So like then the images. So explain a little bit more. So there so there are the campaign features prominently figures of human beings in black and white. There's a lot of negative space. The black lines create negative space for the white space. And all the human beings are, their identities are totally ambiguous. You cannot tell what race or gender they are. They raise, they range greatly in size, which I think is really important. And so we saw all the figures up there. And then with the click of a button, the figures started moving sort of with each other. And I just remember we were all, like, sort of blown away. I just think that what's so special is that, like, every step of the way of the Project for Chime, you're creating community for queer people and gender nonconforming people on every level, mm-hmm. right? Like, you're creating it in the zine. You're creating it in the imagery that people see when they walk down the street. You're seeing it online. Um, you know, self-expression is at the core of our existence, and the best relationship is the one we have with ourselves. And yet the online world is all about creating this fake filter. And I really feel like this campaign strips down everything. It's bare and it's pure, and the words are striking, and yet there's this clean imagery. Um, I want to talk a little bit about why art is such an important medium today to discuss gender. Can I say one thing about that quickly? Um, I totally agree that we're trying to create a queer space. And so, again, the origins of zines and and self-publishing was because if there was something that was deemed too radical to be published by whatever the mainstream media was at that time, whether it be a newspaper or, you know, now like a news network. And so basically if you're out there and you feel like the gender binary is a lie, if you feel like gender is, you know, basically a sham and the cause of tremendous violence and pain in the world, that is not a radical thought. I think that that is just true. And if you open up a chime scene, you will feel at home. And chime... Something about the Chime Zine, too, is it represents voices from not just in the United States. Yes. Can you talk about that? Yes. Um, We actively have contributors from all over the world. I literally, it is very, it was made very clear to me from the get-go, and it's very important to me that this scene be truly international, the same way that my activism or the work that I do is international. I have um, the line that I, what I always say, or my sort of like thesis in life it's in my Instagram bio. I don't know how I can get more <laughs> official than that. Is that queer people anywhere are responsible for queer people everywhere. Mm-hmm. So I, liter- I literally have a map um, in real life that I mark off of places where our contributors come from to ensure that not just certain voices are being prioritized or heard. And what's wild to me is that zines, which come from this counterculture space and art, which is going into the conversations no one else will have, is now being championed right now by a brand, Mm -hmm. right? And 73% of young people today feel that a brand can help shape their identity, but only 13% think they're doing a good job doing it. Gucci's clearly standing out in this. Uh, What other projects are you excited about doing with them? There are more issues of the zine coming, yes? I'm so excited for issue two. <laughs> now that we have the we have the look down, we have the process by which we're gonna chew it down. I'm ready. Have people who have seen it so far reached out to either of you on Instagram or through other profiles, giving their reactions? Yeah, I had um, uh, an activist group that has always inspired me, and that really inspires me today is 
ACT UP and the president of or the co-president of ACT UP in Paris sent me a message yesterday with a selfie of him and his Silence Equal Death shirt with the zine. And so powerful. That was really powerful and really, really, really cool. I'm going to post it later. (laughs) Have you heard from anyone, MP? If I heard of anyone about the zine, about or about just seeing your <laughs> a lot of people, I'm really, I'm really happy. I'm really happy about it. I mean, I have received a lot of messages from my community, and uh, this is really cool. I'm happy. Good. Yeah. I want to talk about on-off. So earlier this month, Gucci presented a two-part wall painting by you at the Gucci Garden in Florence, and it focused on the relationships between individuals and the wealth of physical and emotional exchange. Can you talk a bit about that and the importance of it? When they asked me to make an artwork for the Gucci Garden, for the two floors, I I was really excited because for the place, because it's in the center of Florence, and it reminds me, you know, this old uh, Renaissance. Renaissance? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And um, and also for, um, you know, the, it was difficult to, to work on, on two levels uh, because uh, there was also the, that space, it is, it's really difficult to, to take and to make an installation. So I, I, I studied scenography for theater uh, at the Academy of Art. So uh, what I like when I work in a space is not just to make a mural, but to create an installation, to take the space and create a new space for people. So I, I work both on two levels. I work on uh, the on the space, but also on uh, the conceptual. You say conceptual uh, mm-hmm. um, story behind the installation is uh, is it. It's a story about um, uh, love, but love in every declination. Every condition? Yeah. yeah. It's unconditional love. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I represent a lot of different people. And um, um, I mean, for me, that painting is really like a classic uh, Renaissance painting. But I'm, I see that I mean, uh, it's uh, a classic painting, but uh, I know that it's quite uh, difficult for every people to understand it because I represent a, a contemporary love. I had the privilege of going to Florence and see Ed being at the opening of this piece of art, the on-off, and um, walking into the room is very, very powerful because there are bodies almost similar to all the ones from the campaign, but there's a uh, there's bodies of everyone, and I saw my friends in them. There's a trans male body who looked exactly like my friend. There's a person in a wheelchair, and there was a person who has sort of a body and like a stomach like mine. And so to walk into a space that has so entrenched in history and is so elevated through Alessandro and Gucci and to have those types of queer depictions. It's honest. And incredibly, incredibly powerful. You know, one of the things I want to close on is I feel, as a young queer woman, that sometimes my form of activism in a day is just existing in a day and showing up with confidence. Um, I'd love to hear what you would tell a young queer person who might need to know how they can show up and find community or if they need to know more about how to be an activist, what would you tell them? I would say two things. The first is that sometimes, sometimes, depending on who you are, where you are, and especially how old you are, just being yourself, being your authentic self openly is hard enough, and that's activism for the day. Not being able to be yourself and having to be closeted, whatever that means, that is also enough for a day. And if you feel like you're in a position or a place like a city where you are able to do more, I always say that the hardest part of activism is getting into it. And so go show up, 
go somewhere, usually the LGBT center, approach them and say, hi, my name is Adam. I'm, hi. <laughs> hi. Um, these, these are the skill sets I have. And then ask the one question that I always say, which I hope that this zine asks, and which we definitely asked our contributors, which is, how can I best be of service? Based on my experience, the only thing I can say to a young queer people is, uh, even if your uh, environment is not good in this moment, you will find it a new environment. Uh, maybe not now, maybe tomorrow, but uh, even if you have, no, you have a not good mirror in front of you, there are for sure a lot of good mirror you will find. That's really special. Uh, well, thank you both so much for talking with me today and for being on the Gucci podcast. It's been a really special conversation. I'm very grateful. Thank you for having us. Thank you. Thank you for listening. The Chime Zine is available at the Gucci Wooster store in New York, the Gucci Garden in Florence, and in select bookstores worldwide. Discover more about Chime for Change in the episode's notes.